You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, I got some fun stuff this morning. See if you can figure out what they are just by where you're at. We continue the book of Ephesians today. We are now entering chapter 5 out of a six-chapter book. And uh, here's the background. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And it's important that we understand when we know a little bit about this book. Um, the Apostle Paul, so like, who's this guy? Why should we believe and read something written by a person and it didn't come from Jesus? I mean, why are you putting so much authority into what this person says? Today in particular, we're going to hit some very controversial topics in the Bible, probably uh, two for sure and three of some of the more uh, controversial topics in the entire Bible. They're the ones that kind of get people angry. Uh, the things we're going to talk about today actually cause splits in churches and have even started entire denominations and, and, and uh, have caused people to lose friendships over some of the things we're going to talk about today. When we read through this letter, it causes us to really ask, who are you to tell me anything? Well, the Apostle Paul, the word apostle means a designated delegate. So you have this, and specifically an apostle of Christ, a designated delegate of Jesus given to us to give us God's word. So when Paul speaks today, he's not speaking in his own authority. He's speaking under the authority of Jesus Christ himself. So when we challenge God's word, by the way, the Apostle Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. So a third of what we as Christians follow and believe comes from the Apostle Paul, delegated by Jesus to give us the words of God. So as we read Paul, and as I say Paul says this or Paul says that, it's important that we know Paul speaks under the authority of Jesus Christ. So as we dive into this, it's kind of last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and we talked about how we, as a new person in Christ, if you are a Christian, we have a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at the world, a new way of living life. And, and now he transitions into something new. If you could break it into three things, it's like chapter 1 and 2 is like a look in the mirror. It's understanding who you are. So you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you fix your hair, and then chapters two, uh, three and four are about the clothes you wear. Last week we talked about, he says, put on the new you, take off the old you, put on that new you like a, like a jacket, like a coat, like, like new clothes. Don't let your old life uh, define you, let your new life identify you. So you wake up in the morning, see yourself in the mirror, who you are in Christ, chapter 1 and 2. Now it's time to get dressed and to prepare for your day, knowing how you are to present yourself to the world. That's 3 and 4. Now 5 and 6 begins to talk about walking even faster and running in Christ, and specifically when we go out the door. See, there's a lot of Christians who, who know how to look good. You know what to believe about yourself, that God loves you, that you're a child of God, and, and the value of who you are in Christ, you got that down. And some of you, you can put on the garments and the clothes and have the attitude that on the outside appears like you're great and that you're like just got it all together. But the, really, the rubber meets the mo uh, road. The tread happens on the walk. So what he's going to talk about today, you know who you are, you got your wardrobe on, now let's see how we're to walk in this. And he specifically talks about three areas that we are to talk uh, and walk in. In fact, maybe you guys remember that Run DMC Aerosmith song from the 80s, uh, Walk This Way. Anybody know that song? Raise your hand. Keep it up if you know that song. Okay. Keep it up. Keep it up, please. 
Keep it up. Now, who would like to sing that song for me? Yes, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I see him. All right. Nobody wants to sing it? Uh, man. All right. All right. Anybody know how it goes? Just, just the chorus. Anybody know the chorus? Right where you are. Just want to sing the chorus. Anybody? <laughs> who was that? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Walk this way. Right. I wish, somebody, anybody know the Run DMC rap parts kind of? I don't. Okay. All right. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he starts talking about how to walk this way. And this is what he says. He starts off by saying, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. I like how the King James says, and some of you guys, maybe this is what you're more familiar with. He says, be therefore imitators of God as dear children or as loved children. Notice that it says this. Notice that it says, be imitators of God as dear children. You see, a lot of times, here's what religion says. Religion says, if you will do this, then you will be accepted and become a child of God. But Christianity, Jesus splits the whole thing up and twists it. He reverses that and he says, no, you're accepted in Christ. Now, as a dearly loved child, walk this way, be this way. Religion says, be this and God will accept you. God says, no, I accept you and I love you. I've redeemed you. Now, be an imitator of me as a loved child. I think of a child, if you're a parent, you've ever had a child, a small child, um, they want to be like you. They want to talk like you. You know, it's like I think of that Jungle Book song, I want to talk like you, act like you, be like you, 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 right? The, 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 chim, the orangutan song. And, and I think, you know, when, when you're a dad and maybe you have younger children, they, they want to wear your shoes, right? They, they, want, to, they want to wear your shirts. They want to, they want to match you. You ever walk out uh, uh, and, and you, your kid knows what you're wearing and they got a hat on that looks like yours and, you know, they put on clothes that looks like you and they, they want to be you. They want to imitate you. Now they're young and why do they do they, they They don't do that because you're a stranger. They do that as a loved child of their father or their mother, right? They do this as a relationship connection. They want to identify with their parents because of the love they have for them. This is what Paul is saying. As loved kids of the father, be imitators. Follow his example. Be Imitate God in these three areas he's about to say. Walk this way as imitators of God, as children of of your dad. One of the worst things we can do is try to imitate God when we don't really love him. It's hard. You know, when I was a young minister, I saw some, some people that I really liked in ministry. I thought, man, these are men that I really respected. And, and these are people that, that uh, you know, who really loved people, you know, in the early days. And when I was just uh, serving the Lord in, in, in a I thought, man, they, they're so enthusiastic about people, and they just, they just love people, and they're so patient. They look at people right in the eye when they talk, you know, and they listen really good, right? And, and they're like, they're, they smile, and they're always so encouraging, and they make people feel special whenever uh, they're with them. And I thought to myself, I want to be that kind of person. You know, I want to be, I want to be like that. I want people to, to feel special when they're with me. I want to be able to do these things and, 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 
And so I tried to do all these things that, that this person did. I, I tried to be a good listener, and, I, you know, and, I, and you know, that's some of you guys, you know, that's hard. You know, for me, when I was younger, I, I've gotten better, you know. And, and, you know, I try to look people in the eye and, you know, try to be enthusiastic and encouraging all the time. But I found it was a hard thing to accomplish because all I was doing was imitating his behavior, but what I needed to do is I didn't need to just imitate his behavior. I needed his heart for people. So what I began to do is I began to not pray, God, help me to be like him. I'd say, I pray, God, give me the heart that he has for people. Give me the heart that you have for people. And as my heart began to change, then the outside began to change. So this heart change, this imitation, this, this example that we're set, Paul says three things. Things, three ways. He says three times, walk this way. Walk this way, right? Three times he says, walk this way. And then he gives us the power, the, ca- the key to how to walk this way. Here's an example of, this, of what he says. Is that w- When I was young, I broke my elbow, my wrist, and these two fingers, two separate times. And um, anybody here ever broke an arm before? Anybody here broke a leg? Break a leg. Any, any leg breakers? Leg? Anybody else? Leg? Now, when you couldn't walk, if you have a broken leg, and you, what, what is the key to you walking again? Is it a pamphlet? If I sat you down and I said, hey, here's a pamphlet. It'll tell you all about how to walk. Is that going to get you to walk again? If I said, hold on a second, I got this book that's really good about walking. I think it's going to get you back on your feet again, right? And I gave him that book, right? Or what if I said, there's this video. You got to watch this video, Oh, it's so good. Watch this video, and I promise by the end, you'll be walking, right? Or if I said, hey, let's just sit down and meet at Starbucks every week, and let's go over this, this little book on how to walk, and, and every week you're just going to be able to walk better and better. So that's not going to fix the problem because the problem is that there's a broken bone. The problem is that something inside is broken, and a pamphlet, a video, even a teaching won't fix what is broken. So what Paul does is he identifies areas that are broken in our life. You see, if you have a broken leg, what you might need is a metal pin put into your leg to reshape the bone and fix the abnormality. Well, there's some things that need to be implanted into your spirit through God's word to fix the broken parts to reshape your walk. And as you learn to walk, as that bone begins to heal, you practice that through rehab. And just like in your spiritual life, you got to practice and you're going to stumble. You're going to, it's going to be hard at first. Some of the things we're going to talk about today are very hard. Some of the more controversial things that really tick people off we're going to talk about today. So I'm expecting to be hated today. So it's all right because we're just reading God's word and you can take it up with God and the Apostle Paul. He points to places Paul does. He doesn't just say, here, Walk. He identifies broken places, things that need to be reshaped inside. So let's dive into them. Here's the first one. Number one, three ways to walk. He says, walk this way, walk in love. Walk in love. Now, we've talked about this before. We talk about it a lot. Um, He says, verse two, walk in the way of love. And then he says two ways that you can walk. He says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering, and sacrifice to God. There are two ways that he says that we are to love others and two things to be thinking about when it comes to loving others. But before I do that, let me set the mood here. 
In case somebody say boom chicka wah wah. I like these incense. Anybody smell the, the remnants of first service's incense when you walked in? Let's get these things, get these babies going. If you're allergic to incense, so sorry. <laughs> I got to tell you other than wah wah. All right. Here we go. All right. Now you're going to be able to smell this if you haven't already here pretty soon. Setting the mood. It says to walk in love. Two ways we're to walk in love. And the first one is this. He says that we are to love as Christ loved us. He says walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. To love the way that Christ loved us. Could you imagine just for a second if we loved people the way that Jesus loved us? Us. How did he love us? Man, God loves us unconditionally, without merit. He loves us consistently. He doesn't like have a day off where he says, you know, I just need some time from you, you know, away from you. You, you know, you have people like that. I just need time away, not from everybody, just you. You ever, <laughs> you ever had somebody like that? God doesn't have days like that where he says, you know what, everybody in the world I love, but you I need a break from. You're just wearing me out. He is consistent in his love. He is sacrificial in his love. Not only is he sacrificial in his time and energy and his passion, but the greatest sacrifice of all, he laid down his life. He took beatings on a cross for us. His love is sacrificial. It's not just words. It's compassion in action, and it's enduring. His love is unconditional, consistent, sacrificial, enduring. What if we love that way? Imagine how... Life would look, how work would look. Imagine how a marriage would look. Imagine if we treated our friends with that kind of compassion. See, love takes the first step. Love doesn't wait for another person to reach out. Jesus says, I love you. I took the first step. Now Paul says, love as Christ loves us. You see, we tend to love people who are primarily good people. But not the people that have wronged us. Rather, we need to realize that first, we are the sinner, and second, that we have sinned against. A lot of times we're like, I don't like you. You've hurt me. Well, hold on there. You're the first offender, right? Christ forgave you. Now we are to love others. The second thing he says, we've talked about this first one before uh, earlier. The second one I really want to unpack for a moment. This is kind of where this fragrant offering comes in. He says this. He says, Love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Here's the second way. He says to love as an act toward Christ. When we love others, we are ultimately loving on God. Paul uses this phrase. Now, I like to talk about how God is omnipresent, which is true, that God contains not just, he's not just sitting there and there and there and there and there and there. He actually contains all things. He is omnipresent. There is no place he's not. He is here in his fullness to be able to communicate with. And you could go to the farthest reaches of the galaxy to the end of the universe. And he's just as rich and full there as he is here. However, his omnipresence is the reality. However, he's not always felt. So occasionally he gives us his manifest presence. And this is what this is. When we love others, boom, his manifest presence becomes known. He says this. He says, when God 
sent his son and Jesus laid down his life, it was like a sweet aroma that filled the earth. And then he says, you are to love in the same way. He says, but this time, when you love, that sweet aroma fills the heavens. He says, when you love, it's an act of love to God. Paul uses this phrase, fragrant offering. We're offering it to God. We're not, I'm not loving you as an offering to you. I'm loving you as an offering to God. You see, you may never be worthy of love. Because there's a lot of people that are evil. Maybe you, maybe you don't feel that you're worthy. You know, maybe, maybe you know somebody who is like evil and they're violent and they're abuser. And you're like, man, they, they're not worthy of my love. They're not worthy of my forgiveness. Well, guess what? We love not because they're worthy. We love because he created them with value. And we love because it loves him. It honors him. It fills the earth with the fragrance of him. It gets this sense that when we love others, we're actually loving God. We don't do it for them. We do it for God. We do it for him. And it's like when we act in a loving way towards others, it's like God is going, mm, the way you love smells so good. Mm, the way you care for people, the way you're patient with people, the way you're tenderhearted towards those who, who think differently than you, mm, it just, I love the way that smells on you. You know, interesting about uh, this, this incense. I mean, when you walked in, uh, anybody smell it yet? Anybody smelling it? Any of you guys upstairs smelling it yet? Okay. It fills the room. You know, you could walk into this room from outside and walk in and go, there's something different in this place. Something is, there's, your love actually brings a presence of God that's unique to your workplace it's unique to your house, to your marriage. The way that you love as an act of God actually is a fragrance not only to God, but it brings his presence down to earth. What if we were able to look at a person, look through them, and see Jesus behind them? And whatever we were doing and whoever we were loving and whatever we put our hand to do, we were doing it as if we were doing it for Jesus himself. That's what Colossians 3 tells us. See, a great picture of this is a woman in the Bible. Her story is recorded in three of the Gospels. And, and she's a woman who brought this little box it's called an alabaster box. And inside of it was oil. And this oil was pretty precious because in the ancient culture, for a woman, this oil was her inheritance. It was her guarantee of a future. It was her guarantee of a relationship of a husband. And it was her, her value was on her oil. Because it was money, it was like a commodity, it was currency. So she comes into this room with Jesus and his disciples and other people. And the Bible says in two of the Gospels that she pours it on his head. And in one of the other Gospels, she pours it on his feet. Now, at this moment that she pours her life's savings onto Jesus... You'd think the guys would be like, wow, man, that's pretty amazing. His disciples, man, they began to complain about it. What a waste. What a waste. One in particular, Judas said, this could have been used to feed the poor. What a waste of money. Jesus scolded her. And he says, no, you don't understand. What you think is a waste is actually love to me. He says, what she has done, she's poured out her life to show how much she loves me. Guys, listen, it doesn't matter who it is. When you pour out your love on people, 
Jesus says, it's like you're doing it to me. When you love others, you're loving me. And other people might say it's a waste of time, it's a waste of effort, or they're not worthy. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not a waste because I love it. This is what he's saying here. Paul is saying, walk in the way of love as Christ loved us and as an offering of love to God. Put it this way, a single mother working several jobs to raise a son. She teaches his son to respect others, to work hard, to be honest, and to be kind. She sacrifices everything to put him through school and through college. He graduates, gets a great job, becomes a hard worker, becomes an honest person, and he becomes kind, just as she taught him. But he never answers her letters, never answers her calls, never goes to visit, not even a birthday card on holidays and birthdays. Would you say he's a good son? He's doing everything that she wanted him to be. He's living the life that she taught him to have. But is that enough? Well, what would you think? I would think he's a bad son. It is not acceptable just to live a life that's good and ignore the relationship to whom you owe everything. But we do the same thing as Christians. God has given you everything that is good in your life. Everything of value has come from him as a blessing. And we say, God, here's some, here's some time. I'll give you an hour and a half on Sunday, as long as it's when I'm up to coming. Or just don't make me commit to anything. And those small groups, that's not really my thing. And so you, you compartmentalize and you, you throw scraps to God you, you treat very lightly the one who gives you everything. And it's not good enough just to be a good person and do the things he taught you. He's called us not to just be a certain kind of person, but to walk in love with others and in love with him. So here's the second thing. First one, walk in love. The second one is walk in light. The way of light. Ephesians 5.80 says this. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of two things, goodness, I'm sorry, three things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. He says that's what happens when you walk this way. He says, And find out what pleases the Lord. That's the key. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. See, there's two types of fruit he mentions. There's the fruit of darkness, the, the, the stuff that comes out of our life that will lead to death. And then there's the fruit of light, which leads to life and hope in a future. Walking in light is literally about this. He says, to find out what pleases the Lord. This is what walking in light is all about. God, what would you have for me to do? God, what is your will for my life, in areas of my life? What is your word? What is, God, what does the Bible say about this area of my life? I want to know what pleases you, God. See, this is walking in the light, finding out what pleases God in your life. Now, I've got a, a, a picture of each item here that I'm going to use in this next one for this illustration. I've got, got one of the coolest things ever made. All the guys would agree that it is absolutely one of the coolest things ever made. All the women will think it's one of the geekiest things it's ever made. One of the nerdiest things. Some of you guys own one of these. Men, 
How many of you women own one? All right. Good job. Good job. You're not afraid of what others think about you. Most men are not. So we wear these. You know, if you have a wife that doesn't let you read with the light on, right, get one of these and you can read. But it's okay because it's payback time because when she says your name, boom, light in the face. <laughs> it's what you wanted, honey. Right? So it's, it works. It's good. It's a good tool. But, you, you know, you take it camping. You know, you take it on trips. And um, Paul says, you know, it's time to shine the light on some areas of your life. Look at this. He says, verse 8, he says, shine the light. Now, it's important to know that this is how we often think this verse means. We, th we think this verse means like, I'm going to shine the light on other people's life. I'm going to find out areas of their life that's not right. And so you're like, right there. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing, this is bad. The Bible says this. This is bad. This is bad. I'm shining the light on it. It's what the Bible says. This is not about shining the light on other people's life. This is about shining the light on your life. This is the whole context of this passage. What we're about to read is a challenge for you to shine the light on your life, not to identify darkness in other people's life. It's about identifying the areas of darkness in your life. That's why he says, if you can do this, if you can do this, there's the fruit of this in your life. He says three things will happen in your life. He says goodness, righteous, truth. That means goodness, meaning if you can identify the areas of darkness in your life, you will act out a life of goodness and live compassionate lives towards others. If you will shine the light on the darkness in your life, then you will live a righteous life, meaning live a life that honors, you will live a life that honors God. And if you'll shine the light on the dark areas of your life, you'll also walk in truth. The fruit of that is growing in the understanding of who God is. He says this, the next verse, it's shameful even to mention what the, <laughs> I need to shine it on my Bible here. It is shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Again, the emphasis is shining the light on your life. It means don't just go with the flow and think about what you're, what, you know, and, and just, he says, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're saying. Shine the light of God's word on the areas and the dark places and the crevices of your life. Don't be led by your feelings. Don't be led astray. He says this. I love how he relates it in verse 14. He says, therefore, the Bible says, that's why it says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Now, anybody here a deep sleeper? Any deep sleepers here? Raise your hand. Be proud of who you are. Deep sleepers. All right. How many of you have a snooze that you use regularly on your phone or an alarm clock? Anybody? Snooze. You plan ahead, right? You, you set your alarm maybe a half an hour early, 15 minutes early, so because you're like, I got I got. Five-minute snooze, that's 15 minutes. I can hit it three times and still make it, right? So you kind of pat, you pace out your snooze button. Boom, I got five, 10 minutes. Boom, I got five minutes. Boom, I better get up because I don't want to lose my job. So you get this, the snooze, uh, because in reality, deep sleep is hard to get out of. And Paul says this. He says, some of you are sleeping to death spiritually. He says, listen, get up. Shine the light on your life. Flip the lights on and get out of bed spiritually. Wake up. 
See, some of you, 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 you know who you are in Christ, and you know you got, you know, you got the appearance that you're uh, one of God's kids, but you're not truly walking as one of God's kids. So he says, wake up, church. Wake up, Christians. If you are a Christian, he says, wake up. Powerful words. Open your eyes. Shine the light around you. He goes on to say, Paul gives us areas to shine the light on. This is where it gets a little personal. Again, shine the light on your life, not on others' life. Okay? Shine the light. Verse 3 says, But among you there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because that is improper. That means it doesn't fit. It's not consistent for God's holy people. Let me describe it this way. I wear a 10 and a half. I can't cram my size 10 and a half to 11 size foot into an eight size shoe. It might make it, might, but not with a lot of disfigurement and a lot of pain. And, and it definitely won't allow me to walk in a good way, right? I could try to, listen, church, if you're a Christian in this room, this is a word for you if you're not a Christian, just kind of eavesdrop on us today. He says, listen, if you're a Christian, stop trying to fit where you don't belong. Stop trying to fit into this way the world thinks about life and culture and, and, and the areas that he's saying shine a light on. He says, they're not consistent. They don't fit you. Realize that it doesn't fit. Kick those shoes off. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, of course, joking, which are out of place, but rather a heart of gratitude or thanksgiving. So let's look at three areas that he says in this passage to shine a light on. First one, very controversial. He says, shine the light on your sex life. He says, but among you, there shouldn't even be a hint. There's like no rumors, not even a hint, not even like, it doesn't, don't even let it look like you're, you're doing it. It says, a hint of sexual immorality. Now, some translations say the word fornication. And so somebody like, oh, that means sex before marriage. So oh, it means not even a hint of sex before marriage. No, actually the word's bigger. The word sexual immorality is the word pornea. It's where we get the word porn from. And the word pornea means any sexual experience outside of God's design. It's a big umbrella. It's a whole lot of things. Anything sexually that's outside of God's plan for you. He says, don't even be a hint of pornea or any kind of impurity. That means unclean sexual behavior that you live out. So you've got this, the mind and the body at work here. You see, the world says that sex is simply another desire. If you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, get something to drink. If you're having sexual urges, well, meet it. Go have sex or, you know, take care of it yourself, whatever. You, this is what the world's perspective says. But the Bible shines light on God's purpose for our sex life. See, when, when you wake up at night, or if you're walking in the dark, if you like go to these, like these caves where they turn the lights off and it's like you're in complete dark and your eyes never dilate, right? You're, just, you're walking by feeling, right? This is how you're walking, right? You're kind of dragging your feet. Anybody ever stepped on a toy at night? Anybody stepped on a surprise from your dog? <laughs> a pool or mushy, either way. You got those two choices. You step on something. And uh, it's either gross or painful, right? But you're, or you kick something, but you, so you're like, you learned your lesson. So you're dragging, you're feeling, you're touching. See, and then you, you make your way to the switch, you turn the light and you're like, whoa, that's like a landmine, right? 
man, this is dangerous. The path is made clear when the light is on. Don't go that way. Go this way. It's like, it's like a light bulb, literal light bulb. Boom. It's like I now know the path. I don't have to feel my way. Listen, most people spend their life feeling their way through life, letting their feelings determine their actions. Well, I feel like I want to do this. I feel like this is right. Well, I feel like this is my opinion on this, and because it's the way I feel, it's valid, it's legitimate, and, and, and so this is what I feel like I need to do. So we live our life based upon our feelings and our emotions, and Paul is saying, no, wake up, sleeper, flip the light on. Get out of bed. Look, your path is not a healthy path. Just as you walk in the dark, you might step into some nasty surprises and hurt yourself. If you live your life based on your feelings, you will step in some nasty surprises and find yourself hurt through life. He says, shine the light of God's word on your life. Shine this light. It's a powerful, powerful reminder here. He says, in this particular area, especially, this is not extra credit. This is not varsity Christians only. Listen, sex is designed as a profound union, a mingling of souls in marriage alone. It is an act of trust, transparency, and commitment that unites two as one and is followed by oneness in other areas of life. Love puts the needs of others First, while lust puts the needs of others last after yourself. Outside of marriage, sex is simply reduced to cravings and, and to feelings and to desires, and it breeds distrust and secrecy. Secular, non-Christian studies have proven that people who are sexually active before marriage have a higher statistical propensity towards divorce and marital trouble. It's not advisable even by the world's science. And there's a reason because outside of marriage, it breeds distrust and secrecy and a sense of codependency. Having outside of the bonds of marriage, it places you in a path of darkness. So Paul says, hey, shine a light on this very sensitive area of your life. And then he says, there's another area to shine light on, and this is verse 3. He says, and among you there must also not be a hint of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. What is greed? The word greed there means covetousness. So I want you to write this down, is that we need to shine a light on what we pursue, the things that we want. See, the idea of greed is that there's a sense of never being satisfied, this sense of discontentment, this sense that you got to always have more, pursue more, get more. It's a hunger for more and more. Uh, a couple verses later, Paul calls this challenge of greed an idolatry. Why does he call it idolatry? Think about it like this. When you say that you can't get enough, it's like saying, God, what you give me is not enough. Which ultimately says, God, what you're saying is, God, you're not enough. I won't be happy until I get that salary, until I get that raise, until we move to a better house, a better neighborhood, until I have a car that has air conditioning that works in the middle of the summer in Texas, uh, until... Uh, until I won't be happy until, 
you know, I get that diploma until I finish that, that school year, until I get that education complete, until I find approval from my family. I won't be happy until I get married. Some of you are like, I just, I just want to be married and then my life will be fine. And then you get married and like, I just want kids. God, I'll be happy if you just give me one would be nice, you know. Kids, and then all of a sudden you have married, you're married, you're like, God, I won't be happy until I'm divorced, until I have this person instead, until my kids are out of the house, and until I'm, uh, you know, look a certain way, until I lose a certain amount of weight. And there's that, that sense, see, greed here is not just about wanting stuff, it's this sense of dissatisfaction in your life, that you just want more, and everything you get, God says, here, this is all you need, and you're like, no, I want more, that is the word that he's talking about here. Paul says, shine a light on your heart. It's okay to want things. It's okay to want a better life. You know, I wanted a better life for my, for my family. I grew up in a very, very dysfunctional home. You know, with a father that wasn't present, and we never had stability in our life, and there was always arguing and fighting, and I wanted a better life, and I saw God's face, and God showed me how and gave me people in my life to direct me into a new way of life. But if you're counting on that new way of life or those new things and those pursuits to meet a, a void in your, in your life, then you're going to miss out on the joy of God. Because Christ alone is our security. Christ alone is our comfort. Paul says, hey, shine a light. Shine a light. The remedy, he says later on, by the way, is gratitude. It's thankfulness. I tell you, when you find yourself getting, like, unsatisfied, start making the thank list, you know, in your life. Here's the next thing he says, verse 4. He says, now, he said, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So he says, shine a light on how you talk. Very simple. Shine a light on your language. For, uh, foolish talking, that means perverse comments and humor. He says, shine a light on that. You know, how can you say one thing, man, I love Jesus and I love God and I love you, and then minutes later you're, you know, you're insulting and negative, and, or you say, man, I believe in God's plan and design for marriage is one that's purely and holy, and then you, like, and then you find entertainment in like perverse, twisted views of sex and God's plan for sex. I mean, we really need to shine a light on how those things are reflected in our life and what we talk about. These are difficult areas to shine our life on, but Paul says something even more difficult in the very next verse, in verse 5. He says this. He says, this isn't a joke, verse 5, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or covetous person, such a person is an adulterer, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. If you are living in disobedience to God, you have no inheritance in the kingdom. This is a very sobering challenge that Paul says, hey, shine a light on your life. Let the word of God reveal things in your life that need to happen and change. Are you walking in darkness? By the way, if you're single and you have a friend that you're dating and someone that you like, but yet they are keep trying to pressure you to have sex, even if they say they're a Christian, they're going to lead you into darkness. You need to end that relationship. If you are in a relationship with a person and they feel like, hey, you know what, I'm a Christian, but they pursue everything but God, 
They're going to lead you into darkness. You need to end that relationship. Or maybe they say, hey, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but yet everything out of their mouth is vulgarity and profanity or, or sexual innuendo. You know what? Their heart denies them. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and then they'll lead you into darkness. You need it in that relationship. Paul says, shine a light on your life. Here's the next thing he says is this. Three ways to walk. Number one, walk in love. Number two, walk in the light. Number three is walk in discernment. This is walk in wisdom. Now, to, to symbolize this portion, I have this, this cool little brass compass. And I thought, you know, compasses are really cool. They point, good compasses point true north, you know. As long as you know where north is, you know where you're going. True north is, is the Lord God. He is, the Bible talks about uh, everything, you know, that is good in this life comes from above. Jesus represents true north. And as long as you know God's word, as long as you know true north, you'll always have a sense of direction in your life. So he says, here's what you need to do. Shine a light on areas that the word of God says. But here's the reality. Not everything in the Bible tells us what to do. Right? I mean, not everything... Uh, the Bible isn't, is, isn't clear on everything. The Bible is principle-based, not prescription-based, okay? It doesn't always tell us exactly everything. It doesn't spell out all the details. You know what wisdom is? Uh, wisdom is this. Wisdom is the ability to think clearly and correctly about things not spelled out specifically in Scripture. Like, for instance, what job to take. There are principles that give you what job you should be looking for, but the Bible doesn't say you need to work here. What about how to spend your money? There's principles about money in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't tell us if you should buy that big screen TV or buy that new car. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Well, what to do with your time? The Bible doesn't tell you how to spend your time. It gives you principles that, that make up for value in your, in your life or what to watch on TV. TV didn't even exist at the time. And so we're like, I need to know if I should be watching this or not. Well, the Bible gives principles, but it doesn't give a prescription on what you can and cannot watch. Or even who to marry and who your friends should be. It gives principles. So what do you do when they're not spelled out specifically? The word is discernment. You need discernment. You need to walk in love. You need to walk in light of the scriptures. And you need to walk in discernment or in wisdom. He says this. He says, be careful how you live. Not as wise. Uh, sorry, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Evil, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do you know what the Lord's will is if it's not spelled out specifically? Discernment. You need to walk in this sense of understanding in the light of God's word and then let the Holy Spirit give you discernment. Here's what it says. Let's break this down a little bit. Verse 16 says, redeem the time because the days are evil. I like this. The King James says, um, redeem the time. Here it says, um, uh, be careful then. But I love this word, redeem. See, the time we live in, the world we live in, like theirs, is filled with rebellion, hatred, and neglect. It's got evil in the world. You just turn on the news. There's evil. If you know anything about the world, you know that the world is hurting. And, and here's what he says, redeem the day for the world or the times are evil. Three things that Paul says are potholes in our walk when it comes to discernment. So I'm going to end with these three things that when we're walking, potholes we need to be careful of that distort our discernment, okay? 
Here's the first one, Ephesians 5, 16. It says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What this means is false ambition. False ambitions. You see, I think most people alive struggle with time management. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I think many of us here struggle with time management. So we, we kind of live in the moment and just kind of wing it as we go. We do what we have to do, and then we just kind of fill in the gaps with whatever's left, with whatever we feel like doing. See, the Bible here says, be careful because there's a tendency for us to be lethargic. There's a tendency for people to be lazy. There's a tendency for people to be apathetic. And, and these are not necessarily things that are bad, but they're things that can be potholes in our life. Like, for example, watching too much TV. You know, how many shows really can you binge in one night? I bet there's a competition even now in your mind with a friend of how many shows you, you some of you, it took my wife and I nine years to finish The Office. You know why? Because there are nine seasons right? It might take some of you a summer, maybe even a month. I don't know. It's like I, we developed a relationship with them, nine-year relationship. When it was over, we were heartbroken. For you, it was like, oh, that's funny. Next, you know? It's like no depth to the relationship when you binge watch these shows. And I think watching too much TV, what about video games? You know, some of you just play video games, you know, for a teenager, you can play video games, you know, all day. Some of you adults, it's not video games, it's phone games. And you can find yourself on your phone for hours and hours and hours. What about sleep? Some of you, it's like you sleep, you don't sleep enough, some of you, by the way, but some of you, you sleep way too much. You sleep way too much. And it becomes a time issue with you. What about just sitting around too much time with certain people? See, though these things are not morally wrong, Sometimes they cannot be helpful and might be potholes in helping you find what God has for you to do, resulting in a blowout of apathy, a lack of drive, immaturity, or a shallow walk with God. So Paul is saying this, careful of the pothole of false ambitions, that you're chasing the wrong things. See, listen, God gave us a gift called the Sabbath, and that Sabbath is a day to blow off things. It really is. God says every seven, every six days, have a day where you get to play video games all day, right? Where you get to ponder my existence and read my scriptures or just, you know, or just go motorcycle riding or whatever. Or just watch TV or just build something or just sleep all day. He says you get one day a week to just blow off. Just rest, refresh, contemplate. It's yours. All right? That's what God gave us. And then he says, all right, now it's time to get back to work. We're designed for that blow-off day. We all need it. And if you're not getting it, you're going to self-destruct. But some of you, you have like five Sabbaths a week, right? You're like, you go to work because you have to, and then you get home and the shoes are off, and it's like Sabbath all rest of the day, you know? You hire everybody to do all the work around your house, right? So you don't have to do anything. And, or you eat out all the time because you don't want to fix anything, and it's like there's this sense that when do you, like, really have this motivation, a purpose in your life? He says this, make the most of every opportunity. Redeem those times. Redeem those moments. Go on a mission trip instead of only vacations all the time. 
Use your skills and abilities, not just to make money, but as a platform to see others, uh, to help others see God. Redeem those. Use those opportunities at work. Use those opportunities at church. Use those skills that you have. Redeem what God has given you because the days are evil. There's a lot of pain out there. That's what it means. The world is growing corrupt, but there are millions of people searching for hope. Paul says, wake up, redeem your time. People are perishing. If you know the ship is sinking, get as many people as possible on the lifeboats. Redeem your time. Here's a second pothole, and he says, false assurance. False ambitions and false assurance. He says, uh, after he shines a light on immorality and greed, he says this, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. Empty words. What does that mean? I think, I think some churches, they peddle a cheap grace and a false sense of assurance. Raise your hand. Say a prayer. Sign a card. Walk an aisle. Join a church. Give you 10%. High five. See you next week. That is all that most churches want from most people. And try to be your best, to be a good person, and we're all going to learn something new next week. Be on your way. And I think what people are buying is a walk with God that requires no real walk with God. They just want the fluff and the, the you're awesome, you're okay, you're great. But Paul is saying, listen, shine the light, use some discernment. There are things in our life that are not right, that are not okay. And if people say that they are, those are empty words and they're leading you astray into darkness. He says, don't partner up with them. Don't live and pursue God with them because they are leading you into darkness. There's this, a lot of people that I believe that need to know Jesus that think they are already Christians. Listen, Jesus is Lord and Savior. They're inseparable. Lord means master. Savior means the one who redeemed you, sets you free from your sin. See, we want the Savior, but we don't want the master. We, we don't want to go to hell and we want to feel good, but we don't want to surrender our life to the will of God. Jesus says, there is no follow without surrender. If you want to know me, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to die to yourself. You got to pick up your cross. You got to follow me. There's an act of surrender in this process of discipleship. Don't buy the empty words. Don't believe the empty words. Empty words of false assurance. Now, this is not about struggling with sin, because I'll be honest with you, every person in this room struggles with something. I struggle with something. Some of us struggle with, with many things. And maybe the same thing you struggle with is what I struggle with. Maybe it's different. I don't know what it is. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with something. If you're a Christian, you may struggle with something your whole life. Just don't ever surrender. See, there's a difference between struggle and surrender. We're going to struggle with sin. Many of you guys are struggling with something right now, and you're wondering if you're truly a Christian. Well, don't surrender, <laughs> you know? You know, this is not about someone who never makes any mistakes. See, there's a difference between practicing sin and fighting sin. I'll tell you what, when you make a mistake, when you fail in that struggle with sin, well, get up, dust yourself off, punch the devil in the face, 
and get moving again. And, you know, he may grab at your ankles and he may trip you up. Well, punch him, kick him in the face and keep going. Fight the sin as opposed to surrender and willingly participate in that sin. Paul says it very challengingly. Use discernment in this area. Don't buy the empty words. Sin matters to God. He's a redeemer and he's a healer. But he's also one that matures us out of our old life. Okay, here's the third pothole. He says, don't buy the lie that you can live in, a, in sin and be a follower of Christ. He says this. He says, verse 8, he says, again, one of the most controversial passages in the Bible, entire denominations. People might even leave the church over this today. I don't know. It says, uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which means fighting and incivility and stupidity. How many of you know, don't raise your hand. How many of you know somebody, just think of them, who has done stupid stuff under the influence of alcohol? That's what he's talking. It leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the third pothole, false comforts. False comforts. And I end with this thought right here. Being drunk is compared to being filled with the Spirit. By the way, it's important that I point out that it says, being drunk. It doesn't say drinking. It just says being drunk. It is not a sin to drink. What the Bible says is a sin is drunkenness. Now, when do you know if you're drunk? Well, you have to be drunk to, to know that, which is the dilemma of drinking. Right? It's like, it's a, hey, man, I only get drunk once a month. I'm trying not to. That's okay because I only commit adultery once a month. High five, right? I only steal on the weekends, so... Just trying to blow off some steam, but I'm a top-notch on Monday through Friday, right? But on the, you know how it is on the weekend, right? This is the dilemma here. That's a whole other discussion. But I'm going to focus on the comparison between alcohol and the spirit. Being drunk is compared with the spirit because both are ways to deal with life's pressures. Okay, let's take a look at the comparison. Alcohol is a, de is a depressant that dulls the senses of reality and it makes you less aware of your surroundings. The Holy Spirit is a stimulant that makes you more aware of your reality and your surroundings. Alcohol gets rid of worry by making you forget the problems. The Holy Spirit gets rid of worry by helping you remember the solution. See, alcohol gives you courage by making you less aware of the danger. But the Holy Spirit gives you courage by showing you how much larger God is than whatever you're afraid of. You see, this is a false comfort that many, even Christians, fall into. This is why Paul is addressing this to followers of Christ. He says, listen, don't get your courage, your hope, your bravery, your, your sense of peace, and, 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 and alcohol. He says that is, will lead to unwise choices in your life. He said, be filled with the guidance of the Spirit. See, here's the key to all of this today. How do we walk in love? How do we walk in light? How do we walk in discernment? Well, the key is right there. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the key. He is the power source. He continues this in verse 18. I like how he says this. This when I want to end on this thought. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. This, this is what happens when that happens. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. From your heart. This the song is a song of the heart. He says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I used to read that, and I'm like, how in the world do I, like, like do, how do I live this? Hey, Michael, what's up? How you doing? You're not, am I supposed to just mean, I'm supposed to, like, sing to everybody? It says, hey, it says, speak to one another with psalms. Hey, Byron, what you doing today? Hey, the Cowboys playing. What time are they on? What time? 7.30. 7.30. Maybe today's their day, sweet Jesus. We're like, well, that's impractical and that's dumb. So this verse is a nix for me. Boom, right? So it's like that means something else that I'm not willing to do. So here's what it means. Think about it like this. Scripture is to be the soundtrack of our life, always playing in the background, shaping our mind and our heart. See, the words that come out of our mouth are the songs of our heart. And so Paul is saying, after you shine the light of God's word into your life and you use the discernment of the Spirit to avoid the potholes, he says what's going to happen is over time the Spirit of God through the word of God is going to become a song that's going to flow out of your heart so that when tragedy strikes, you start singing a different song. When the world sings fear, despair, and worry, you're going to be singing, I will not fear. I don't know what I'm singing, but I'm going to sing that. You know, the Lord is with me. You know, sometimes, honestly, when I'm at home, I don't know what to sing. I just want to, this is not being like hyper-spiritual. I literally, I just want to sing Jesus. You know, because I sometimes my spirit doesn't know what to say, doesn't know what to do, and I just, I just, I just sing Jesus. You know, and when trials come, when when the the enemy comes at me and says that I'm not going to make it, and that I'm a failure, and that things are never going to work out, I hear the Spirit of God singing in me, and I start singing, "I can do all things through Christ." You know, and, and I begin to sing this new song of the Lord based upon the Scripture that's planted in my heart. And when you hear that hope is lost and that, that report comes back and, and it's not a good one, you begin to sing, man, I know, but my God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He is always with me. He will guide me. And I walk by faith, not by sight. These are terrible songs, I know. <laughs> but this is what he's talking about. Let the soundtrack of your life playing in the background be God's word. This happens when we walk in the spirit. That means we got to read it. We got to memorize it. We got to listen to it. We got to fill our mind with it. Because what it does is that's the pin in the bone that reshapes a broken leg, that reshapes your broken spirit. It's the Holy Spirit and God's Word. See, reading God's Word puts the lyrics in your heart and soul. The small groups that we have each week are the songs of our heart that we sing to each other. You know, the music that you listen to during the day, it makes a difference because those are sermons that you can remember. You know, if I were to ask you, do you remember the sermon that I preached on, on, on the greatness of God? You're like, um, 
I don't know. That's why I use like symbols and stuff because like it identifies you with a thought and then when you see it, you remember it. But what if I told you, hey, you know the song, What a Powerful Name It Is? What a powerful name it is. There's, <laughs> you just like start topping your feet. You know, you know the song because that's a sermon that you can remember. So what you fill your mind with during the day is important because it puts the song in your heart that we are to be singing to those around us by faith. Corporate worship that we do this morning, it stirs each other in faith with one voice as a choir, sending up a fragrance up to heaven. When we serve on missions and when we go on, uh, uh, you know, um, mission trips and when we, when we serve in our church and when we volunteer, you become a song of hope and peace and life and comfort to those that you're serving. Listen, parents, you need to get your kids in our student ministries, in our kids' ministries, because in these, if it's not the anthem of their heart led by the, script, uh, uh, by the scriptures and the spirit, then the song in their heart will be shaped by Disney, Bruno Mars, or Drake. They need to have the heart songs in their life be written by Scripture. See, there's not initially anything wrong with some of these things. We just need to shine the light of Scripture on them, and we need to use discernment in our life more. This is about walking. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in discernment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have uh, been so patient with us. Uh, sometimes in our immaturity, Lord, we, we ignore you. God, I pray that as the scripture spoke this morning, that we were challenged by the light of scripture. Maybe you're here today and, and God is speaking to you about areas in your life. He loves you so much. He's your creator and he designed you and he knows what will bring you joy greater than you can know. He knows what will truly bring you happiness in your life more than you do. Maybe you're sitting here and some of the things that were said today really spoke to you. Maybe there's other areas of your life and God's reminding them uh, to you right now. Will you just take a moment to say, Jesus, here's my life. Go ahead and say, God, here's my life. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for dying for me. I give you my life. Maybe there's something in your life you need to confess right now. Will you just confess it? Lord, I'm struggling with this. God says, I know, and I have the power to help you to get through it and the grace to forgive you. Will you just confess to him the challenges in your life? Lord, help us to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, and to put away these false comforts and false ambitions, false comforts. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're with us tonight, today, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.